Good morning. Welcome to our service today. It's great to have so many of you with us here in our worship auditorium, and welcome also to those of you joining us online. As we begin this morning, I'd like to take just a few minutes and pray together for the people of Ukraine. Ukraine is a place where there's been a great deal of Christian missions work. A lot of folks from the United States have gone there. A lot of churches planted, a lot of um, missionaries uh, serving there. A lot of believers, a lot of Ukrainians praying right now. And I know we're all uh, somewhat troubled to see what's been happening. So I'd like to ask that we just take a couple of minutes this morning, join our hearts together and pray for what's happening there. I'd like to, as we're praying, pray a few words from Psalm 94. What's happening today with one nation invading another like this uh, has happened a lot in history. And King David spoke about this in his time. Other writers of the Psalms spoke about this when they spoke of what was happening among the nations. And they looked to the one who rules over all the nations. And that's what we'll do this morning. So would you join me now as we pray together? Father, we come in the name that is above all names, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one in whose hands lies all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who alone rules over the nations. Lord, we pray for the people of Ukraine. Pray for the believers there who've been lifting their voices in prayer. Would you be a, a divine shield and a hedge of protection around them? Would you drive back the invasive forces that would come to steal and kill and destroy? We pray the words of Psalm 94. O Lord God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man that they are but a breath. Lord, you are the eternal God, and we pray for your protection over the people of Ukraine, for your protection and care for that nation. May your peace be upon your people. Strengthen them with your great grace and power. And in both Ukraine and in Russia, we pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that hearts would be turned toward Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. And we pray in his great name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for being here today. We have begun a study of the beautiful, wonderful gospel of Luke. Luke provides just a remarkable picture of the life and ministry of Jesus. It's, it's rich in unveiling the teaching of Jesus, but also in presenting his ministry to people. In the gospel of Luke, we see Jesus' great authority at work, casting out demons, 
authority to establish truth and doctrine, we also see his incredible compassion for people being poured out in his healing. We see a, a very regular life of prayer, a devotion to prayer. Jesus often pulling aside to a desolate place to pray, and we see his reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit to work through him. Today we're going to look at Jesus' calling of his first followers. And I think this uh, presentation that Molly read just a moment ago from Luke chapter 5 and then in Luke chapter 6, his calling of Levi, Matthew, the former tax collector, is really rich in what it teaches us about following Jesus today, what it means to be his follower. Before we look into that passage, though, just a bit of background. What we've seen so far in Luke is that many people oppose Jesus because of his message. If you were with us last week, as we read of Jesus proclaiming who he was, we saw that he, he spoke in such a way as to anger the self-righteous, the self-sufficient, those who had great pride in their religious identity and heritage and gave no thought to the gospel going to other ethnicities and other nations. Many people opposed him. Many people sought him, and many people sought him because of his miracles. Even today, many people are drawn to the Christian faith because of its perceived benefits. Often on television or in, in popular Christian media or books, you'll see people presenting biblical teaching as if Christianity is basically a form of life improvement. Come to Jesus and everything in your life will be better. You'll prosper. You'll be more healthy. Your relationships will be better. You'll get the life you always wanted. The gospel presents the complete picture. That Jesus' coming is not primarily to give us the life we always wanted here on earth, but to sacrifice His life on a cross to shed His sinless blood to atone for our sins so that through faith in Him, we might be reconciled to our infinitely holy God. And yes, embracing Him and having His Spirit dwell within us, regenerating us, causing us to be, in His own words, born again or born from above. Yes, there's life improvement. But there's also persecution. As Jesus said, in this life you'll have tribulation. Many people sought him because of his miracles. And some people, some people followed him. And today we're going to look at what we can learn from those who made the decision, challenging decision, to follow him. As Molly read a moment ago from Luke chapter 5, beginning of verse 1. We'll start there. And we see first that followers recognize something. Those who truly committed to following Jesus. Followers recognize the authority of His Word. We read in verse 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Him to hear the Word of God, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Let's not miss this phrase in Luke, to hear the Word of God. So we saw at the beginning of the gospel, Luke was uh, really given to putting together an accurate history of the events of Jesus' life. He was by trade a physician 
who would, who would travel with the Apostle Paul. Great care to put together the events of Jesus' life in an accurate fashion. And he's calling Jesus' teaching the Word of God. Early on, it began to be recognized that Jesus' words were the very words of God. Jesus himself said, in, in what he's praying to the Father in uh, John chapter 17, I've given them the words that you gave me. Jesus claimed that the words he spoke were the word of God. Luke is affirming that to us. And then in verse 5 we read this, Simon, and Simon here in this passage is Peter. Simon Peter, he becomes better known to us as Peter throughout the Gospels in the New Testament. What happens is Peter and his uh, fishermen friends, James and John, they'd been out in a couple of boats, they'd fished all night, they'd caught nothing, and now when the crowd is pressing in on Jesus, he, he gets into one of the boats and pushes out a little from the land so the people can hear him. There are apparently so many people gathered around that this would give him a little bit uh, more of an amphitheater-like setting where his voice would carry. And now he's used their boats and he says to uh, Peter and the others, now take your boats back out. They'd fished all night and caught nothing. Put down your nets for a catch. Simon Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. I want to credit Pastor Andrew Wilde with a really helpful insight into this verse as we talked about it this week. Think about this for a moment. Here's Peter, Simon Peter. He, he is a vocational fisherman. That's his job. That's what he does with his life. He fishes. And he knows they let down those nets at night and they get a lot more fish. All night, two boats, many nets, they let down and they get no fish. Here's Jesus, the son of a carpenter. What does he know about fishing? He says, now that it's daytime, less likely time to get the fish, let down your nets for a catch. They're weary, they've just come in. So what does Simon Peter say? Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing, but at your word, at your word, I'll let down the nets. Hear what he's saying here. It's extremely important. Teaches us to recognize the authority of Jesus' word. Peter's saying, at your word, over my experience. Your word, over my mere human understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. The principle for us here is that followers... Followers recognize the authority of Jesus' word. Secondly, followers recognize the greatness of his person, and in light of that, the greatness of our need. So Peter lets down the nets. He and his friends go back in the boats, push out a little bit, let down the nets, Verse 6 says, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Can you imagine that? It's kind of funny in a way. The nets are so full that they're about to break. Calls over the other boat and they fill both the boats with fish. And the boats are beginning to sink. What is Peter's immediate response? He fell down at Jesus' knees, 
saying, Depart from me from a sinful man, O Lord. Peter, one of the first followers, recognized who was standing before him. Followers recognize his glory, his greatness, who he is. And in light of that, we're humbled. We recognize our need, the greatness of our need, our sin. Peter was more concerned with the God of the miracle than the miracle itself. And then Peter is commissioned. He's sent out by Jesus. This pattern is, is interesting because it follows a, an Old Testament pattern that would have been really well known to, to uh, the Jewish early Jewish followers of Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and the others, because of perhaps the best known, certainly one of the best known Jewish prophets, Isaiah, had an experience very much like this. Hear these words from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. What was Isaiah's response to a vision of the greatness of God? And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go. Here's the pattern. The greatness of God is seen, is perceived. It results in great, deep humility and the recognition of our need. Yet our sin is atoned for, and God sends us. This would be the very same pattern for Peter. He would recognize the greatness of Jesus And he'd say, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. But a few verses later, Jesus would commission him. Glory, humility, sending. Followers recognize not only the authority of his word, the greatness of his person, and the greatness of our need in light of his person. Thirdly, followers recognize this. The preeminence of his call over everything else. When the miracle happened, Peter was astonished. The Bible says, so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were his partners. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now picture that for a moment. It appears that it was just immediate. They bring the boats to land and they follow Jesus. They left their nets, they left their boats, and they left this incredible catch of fish. You'd think Peter would say, wow, now I can pay off the boats, pay off the house. But it appears they left everything, even the fish. And I guess 
that great crowd that had pressed around got to take home a, a whole lot of fish. But the call of Jesus took preeminence. It took precedence over everything else. What about Levi? You know, a moment ago, Molly read uh, ahead for us a little bit in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. This is where Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the booth. Levi, by the way, is, is better known as Matthew. Um, he's presented to us uh, as Matthew in Scripture. Any of you who've seen the, the Chosen series may recall uh, the episode where Jesus came to Matthew at the tax booth and called him and he just turned in the key and he left everything behind. The, the wealth he had there, everything else began to follow Jesus. He was amazed he asked him to follow him. Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Followers recognized the, the preeminence of his call over everything else. And we learned from them, I think, two things. Number one, that following means forsaking. Often means forsaking. Peter, James, John, Levi, Matthew, they left everything and followed him. Our call to follow Jesus will likely mean giving up anything that stands in the way of our following him. One of the things, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, we say that we see that can prevent people from following Jesus is the love of money, covetousness, greed, love of our wealth. A little bit later in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, um, Jesus will invite a young man to follow him, a rich young ruler. But the young man couldn't get, let go of his love for money. Jesus said, sell, sell it all, give it to the poor. Come follow me. Man went away sad, but he couldn't do it. The next chapter in Luke chapter 19, Jesus meets a man named Zacchaeus. And this man responds differently to Jesus. Jesus doesn't tell him he's got to give up anything. But he says, Lord, half my goods. He was a rich chief tax collector. Half my goods I give to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, <laughs> I love the way he says that. If I cheated anybody, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus perceived what he had to give up. The dishonest business practices. Anything God says is wrong that we put before God, in all likelihood, He'll call us to forsake. And we see in Peter, James, John, Levi, Matthew, the call is much greater than the cost. I don't think Peter and James and John and Levi could have possibly comprehended the significance what it would mean in all of eternity that they said yes when Jesus said, leave it and follow me. I don't think the rich young ruler who chose not to follow Jesus in the light of eternity could possibly have perceived the significance of what it meant to say no to Jesus. The consequences of that the significance of that. If we could take the long view, the eternal view, 
if we could see things with an eternal perspective, we would see that it is always the most wise choice to say yes to Jesus. Whether it is our initial commitment to following Him as Savior and Lord, or His call to leave something behind to follow Him more faithfully. To give something up that we know is wrong to follow Him more faithfully. To break off some relationship that we know He says is wrong to follow Him more faithfully. The call is always much greater than the cost. A fourth thing that followers recognize is the priority, the priority of reaching people. Simon Peter has has fallen at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. They're all astonished at what's happened. Jesus says to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. In other words, Peter, you're a vocational fisherman, fishing all your life. Now, you're going to fish for people. You're going to reach people. You're going to help people. Jesus used the miraculous catch of fish to show Peter and the others that he could now use them to reach people. Call to follow Jesus is a call to reach people, to touch people, to care for people, to help people. Notice Levi's case. Verse 28 we read, Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And in verse 29, Levi made a great feast in his house, And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. This is immediately what Levi does. Jesus sees him at the tax booth, says, follow me. He leaves everything. In the very next verse, Levi is making a great feast in his house with a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table. Pharisees and scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, those who are well well, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Levi apparently understood immediately that Jesus was interested in people, interested in reaching people, because his first response, having been called to follow him, is to gather all of his friends who were known uh, to the Pharisees and other religious people as very sinful people, tax collectors, others, Um, always looked down upon by the religious. But the lesson is that followers recognize it's now about people. Jesus calls his followers to reach people, to touch people. This idea that followers of Jesus are sent into the world to reach people is the mission statement of our church. If you look at your bulletin, the very if you got one on the way in, those of you who are here, those of you getting one online, the, the front page of it has our little mission statement at the bottom, building followers of Jesus who are sent to reach others. That's what followers are all about. <clears throat> I'd like to read from you now just a few sentences, part of the first paragraph of what we call our Vision 2025 You'll see it on the screen before you. And it reads this way. In the year 2025, River Oaks is known as a church where people have a 
strong knowledge of the Bible, joined with active compassion for those outside of the church. We believe this is Jesus' pattern. Learning his word, learning from him, compassion for people. Its mission of building followers of Jesus who are sent to reach others has shaped the church's ministry of spiritual formation for all ages. Children, students, and adults have a growing knowledge of Scripture that's being formed by active involvement in worship services, small groups, and classes. A distinctive culture of disciple-making is shaping both the church and individual households with a passion to invest in the spiritual growth of others particularly the next generation. Now, while our mission is to build followers of Jesus who are sent to reach others, we have a particular emphasis, we believe, as a church on the next generation. Years ago in the United States, there was a very well-known evangelist named Dwight L. Moody. If you've ever read a book printed by Moody Publishers or heard of Moody Bible Institute, it's because of him. He died in December 1899. In his time, he was really well-known, much like Billy Graham would have been well-known in the late 1900s. He was an evangelist, and one day he's walking down the streets of Chicago. He had had an evangelistic meeting the night before, and a friend walked by him on the sidewalk and said, uh, Mr. Moody, um, how was your meeting last night? He said, it went well. He said, were any saved? He said, yeah, two and a half. Two and a half. And the friend said, oh, I understand. Two adults and a child. And Moody said, no. Two children and one adult. You see, the children have their entire lives before them. The adult's life is half over. There's a great lesson there. Ministering to kids, the gospel, the love of God, is a good investment. It just makes sense. They've got the entirety of their lives before them. Investing in the next generation is a wise investment, I believe. I think of someone in our church who's done that in a, in a most remarkable way with our students. And Doug, I'm talking about you now, Doug Todd. Doug and Suzanne, would you stand for a moment? Doug and Suzanne, yes, you have stand to, to Sue. We just want to thank the Lord for you and recognize you for your ministry to our students. Here's... <clears throat> Doug has received a, a job transfer that will take them to Maryland. He leaves tomorrow. And Doug and Suzanne have been part of our church since the very earliest days. But here's what's really remarkable. And Suzanne, we thank you because you have supported Doug in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours on youth trips and hours with youth. Doug has felt a call to minister, minister to students. Even after their own daughters had grown in age through our youth ministry, he continued. And I suspect that those of you who've been here a while, if you've seen a baptism of a student on stage, that you might have heard them say something like, well, Doug Todd prayed with me in a small group or on a mission trip, 
and I put my faith in Jesus. Pastor Sonny Flowers told me he thought Doug had led more people in prayer in our youth ministry to receive Christ than anyone else over the years. They're now relocating, but we're so thankful for your example, Doug, for your heart. What would it be like one day to see a um, child or a youth giving a, a word of testimony on Youth Sunday or being baptized and to hear that uh, child or that student say, she, she taught me in Noah's Ark. That's where I learned about Jesus. Or he led our small group in prayer. That was a day I really understood the gospel. Or she prayed with me on one of our youth trips, and that's when I put my faith in Jesus. Building followers of Jesus sent to reach others, and for us, for our church, we feel God has called us to a special priority on the next generation. So let's try to recap this for just a moment. Followers of Jesus recognize, number one, the authority of his word. At your word, Lord, I'll let down the nets. Secondly, followers recognize the greatness of his person, and in light of that, the greatness of our need. I perceive who you are, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And I have need of your forgiveness because I am a sinner. Thirdly, followers recognize the preeminence of his call over everything else. Whatever must be forsaken is worth forsaking to follow him faithfully. And then finally, the priority of reaching people. So as we reflect on this, just three questions by way of personal application. Number one, have I recognized and embraced the preeminence of Jesus Christ in his word over all other things, over my wealth, over my reputation, over my desire to continue to do things of which I know God does not approve? Might be good to ask. Have I been seeking his benefits without his lordship? Because he calls us to lordship. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? If you love me, you'll obey my word. Secondly, is there anything God is calling me to forsake in order to follow him more fully? A relationship that I know is wrong in his eyes a practice that I know is wrong in his eyes. Love of money that I'm not willing to place in God's hands for the work of the kingdom of God. Thirdly, am I seeking his guidance on how best to reach people with the gospel? Maybe you've got friends like Levi, the tax collector. God wants to reach them. Let's pray about those things right now, shall we? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Jesus, you are Lord. Give us, please, a greater vision of who you are, of your great authority, of your great love. Help us comprehend what it meant for the Son of God, God the Son, to go to the cross for us. 
help us comprehend the great wisdom in forsaking what must be forsaken to follow you more fully and faithfully. Lord, show us how you would use us to reach, to touch, to help, to affect, to influence the people you've put in our path. And we pray in your great name. Amen.